Welcome to this episode of the FCA Podcast, an original podcast series produced by the Florida Chiropractic Association. I'm Jennifer Durr, CEO of FCA, and I'm here with this episode's co-host, Jack Hebert, FCA's Director of Governmental Affairs. And with us today is Allison Carbajal, FCA's Legislative Team Director, and Kim Driggers, FCA General Counsel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. Good to be with you today. I'm uh, joined with, as you mentioned, Kim Briggers and Allison Carvajal. Kim's our general counsel, but Allison's our senior legislative rep. Outnumbers me by a few years. And uh, we're glad you're tuned in today. We're here in Tallahassee with the legislative session. And like I like to tell everybody, for 60 days each year, your life, your liberty, and your property are not safe while they're in session in Tallahassee. So, we uh, want to give you a little bit of an update. We are actually now in day 21 of the 60-day session. We've got 39 days to go, and things are starting to heat up a little bit. This is turning out to be a pretty significant healthcare session, and I want to talk a little bit, particularly with Allison, about that. Allison represents not only DCs, but some other healthcare clients, and she's been burning the candle at both ends even this early in the session. So, Allison, what's up here? Why is this such a big deal for healthcare this year? So, the Senate president's father is a physician. Recently, he passed away right before session, but she has always been focused on healthcare. It's not a secret that Florida has a serious healthcare provider crisis all across the board, from physicians to nurses to CNAs. And they're doing whatever they can to increase providers in the state. And um, she has a major package, and it's entitled Live Healthy. And in that package, she provides for, it's called the FRAME program. It's a loan forgiveness program for physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners. There's a few other providers thrown in there, but it's a big price tag. So the house... I think they're negotiating that right now. The House has it. It hasn't come out at second committee yet. They're all done behind the scenes. We have to wait and see what's in it. But that is her goal. Her goal is to get more providers in the state and to incentivize them to stay here. Okay, but looking at the whole package, it's moving quickly. Moved very quickly through the Senate. We were like within the first week, it was out and up. She and her staff spent the whole summer working on that product. And... That's her piece of legislation. That's what she is really wanting this session. It's very important to her. I think we'll see it continue to fly right off the Senate floor. I think they're waiting on the House right now, just posturing. But we have a lot of session left. We're just going to holding pattern on the Live Healthy package. But it doesn't have a whole lot of D.C. No, it doesn't. So the Senate package that already flew through and I guess passed out on the floor, right? That includes an interstate medical licensure compact. There are 37 states that have this kind of medical licensure compact. A chiropractic compact doesn't exist in the United States, so it's not possible that they would include us in a compact because there are no other states that have a chiropractic compact. But anyways, the Senate Bill 7016 only provides that medical doctors, MDs, DOs, are part of this licensure compact. Those in other states that have a compact, medical compact, they can automatically come to Florida and be licensed. However, there are other bills running around, Senate Bill 1600, House Bill 1381, Senate Bill 1600, passed unanimously out of the first committee. It's set for this week as well, I believe tomorrow. 
And that's a shorter bill. The first, the Live Healthy, is 234 pages long. These ones are 26 pages long, and they're called interstate mobility. So it's essentially the same concept to get more healthcare providers to the state of Florida. That will provide that within 15 days of receipt of an application for some a chiropractic physician, and it applies to all healthcare providers. So every licensing chapter. Within 15 days, if the chiropractor has practiced three years in a different state, and there's some other requirements, no disciplinary actions, passing a background check. If the board decides they must take a jurisprudence exam, then they will. But if they've practiced three years in another state, the Department of Health is required to accept their licensure here. That's a spinoff bill. And I believe Senate Pasadomo's when she was at the podium, she gave her a briefing. She indicated why they weren't included, and she said there are certain other issues that would have just bogged it down too much and uh, honestly made the bill too long, so they have some split-off bills, and this is one of them. And in the House, part of the House's large package, their 300-page bill, the House does include licensure by endorsement, which is essentially the same thing, and there in the House... If you've practiced for two years in another state, the department is required to license you within seven days as long as you've practiced that two years and don't have disciplinary actions and things of that nature. We don't know where it's going to land, as Allison kind of indicated. It's early yet, but those definitely, those bills will impact chiropractic physicians. It will bring more to the state of Florida. And I must mention that scope of practice. It has to be a quote-unquote similar scope of practice. It's unfortunate, but the Department of Health will have significant appeals and fines if they don't find that there is a similar scope of practice. As we all know, within chiropractic, the scope is very different in many states. But looking at the language as to how they define scope of practice, similar scope of practice, it's pretty broad. And I think the department will be hard-pressed to preclude chiropractors in other states from coming to Florida. Yeah, I was about to ask him, so if you're talking MDs or DOs, nurse practitioners that have a compact, and with MDs and DOs having a broad scope, an unlimited practice, it gets much more confusing when you try to define it for chiropractic. Correct, because of yeah. the variation state to state. And it puts a lot of pressure on the board. The Board of Chiropractic Medicine is going to be required to really uh, probably will fall on the Department of Health, the Board of Chiropractic Medicine, the staff there, to determine what a similar scope of practice is. It's a lot of work for the Department of Health to accept all these new licenses and determine scope in all the other states. Nurse practitioners are licensed nationally, so it's not as big of an issue for them. About 28 states allow nurse practitioners to practice independently, meaning there's no physician supervision over them whatsoever. Those people come to Florida because if they come to Florida, then they have to find a physician to sign a piece of paper, basically a permission slip to allow them to practice. And Allison, I think based on experience, this ship's going to sail one way or the other. This ship will sail. We'll certainly um, keep you posted on the latest on that, of course, with our weekly reports that go out. I think let's shift, if we can, a little bit to issues that are, of course, this impacts chiropractic, but let's talk about some of the kind of proactive things, if we could, and some of the other bills that are out there that we're dealing with this session and some of the individual issues that we're trying to move forward. 
and let me direct this to Kim because she's dealt in this world on the other side or whatever. PIP, no fault. The repeal of PIP and replacing it with mandatory bodily injury requirement, insurance requirement for auto automobile insurance. Kim, how many years have we been at this now? Oh, a decade yeah. minimum. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So for 10 years in this session, the bill was filed in the House and the Senate, but it hasn't received a hearing yet. I think Jack and Allison would agree it's probably not going to move this year, but I think next year is a little different story and I'll let them pontificate on that. But for those listening, we have been trying to prepare the field for a decade now that at some point this train is going to end. We've been trying to prep doctors to diversify, to include cash, insurance, and also auto. There are only, I believe the number is four true PIP states left where they just have no fault and no other mandatory requirements. We've looked at to trying to present an option of a mandatory PIP and a mandatory BI, but the dollars of the increase in premium will not justify something like that. The current bill, which is a replication of last year and probably the year before that, does have an opt-out med pay, which will state when you go to renew your insurance that it's almost like uninsured motorists. It is just like uninsured motorists. So you have to have an offer. The agent or online, whoever you're getting your insurance has to offer you med pay at a minimum of $5,000, but you have to actually opt out. And if you don't opt out, then it's going to be, I believe it's presumed that you do carry that med pay. The insurance company can't prove that you opted out. However, the med pay product, it can be in increments of 5,000, 10,000, and it can go higher. So I think you're going to find some Floridians purchasing that premium because it's still compared to health insurance is inexpensive. And obviously it's a, a good type of insurance that will cover your medical bills, but you're going to have many that don't have it. There will be a $5,000 reserve for the ER physicians in the hospitals, meaning the first $5,000 of med pay must be reserved by the insurance company for 30 days. And after that 30 days, then they can release it. But we don't have much movement on making the MBI better. There are a couple tweaks that we're looking at. And we'll get to our lien law that we filed this year. We'll get to that later. But Anyways, that's pretty much with regard to PIP, but just know that so many doctors in other states are running in a mandatory BI state, and maybe you should reach out to them. And the tough part will be for the first six months to a year getting your cash flow because you won't be getting that upfront money by the insurance company within 30 days of you treating a patient. But remember, there will be no fee schedules. Essentially, the coding disputes will be different. You're not going to have an examination under oath where the insurance company says we're denying the insurance benefits. You're not going to have a problem where your hands are tied, where now you can't bring a PIP suit because of reductions or denials. So a lot of those requirements that are holding your hands now or tying your hands together will be gone if it goes to a mandatory bodily injury state. Okay. I would think, ladies, though, in my estimation, this the insurance, not just auto insurance, so property insurance or whatever, two of the top issues, I think, of the mind of voters this year. And I'd be surprised if the, the legislature is not forced into a corner and to make some decisions. Auto insurance, some of the highest rates in the country, 
property insurance rates getting canceled left and right, more people joining citizens. I see everything on the horizon pointing in that direction after the elections. The legislature is going to have to go back and look at this issue and make some tough decisions. So, Talking about uh, things that keep coming back, though, and Allison, you've been on the front line with this one, uh, with what we've nicknamed this the ology issue. It's actually about position titles. And that's the legislature trying to dictate and statute what you can call yourself, what you can't call yourself, uh, and your, your advertising and how you hold yourself out to your patients. Allison, we're back for the third or fourth year. I guess it's third year on this one. Jack, it feels like 10. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. But they're back again. In fact, I see there's a committee hearing, in fact, today, I think, on this very issue. Kind of stemmed out of a couple of different professions and how they refer to themselves. So medical doctors, their protected title and statute is the word physician. Doctor is an education degree. That doesn't have anything to do with whether you're a medical doctor or not a medical doctor. A nurse practitioner, for example, their programs are moving to a doctorate level. They would prefer that a nurse practitioner not call herself doctor, even though she's earned the title. And they have some very clever ways of trying to say that we can still use the title, but put it in the statute that says we can't. They also didn't want optometrists to call themselves optometric physicians. They just want them to be an optometrist. The House has a little bit of a different view on titles because they know that doctor is an academic title. Doesn't really have anything to do with if you're a medical doctor or not. Because a med student can't call themselves doctor until they're hooded, just like anybody else, just like any other PhD. So there are some folks in the Senate that just really get stuck in their craw and they want to fix it. So here we are. But Kim, we've been, in the last couple of years, we've been pretty successful in protecting chiropractic titles, haven't we? I don't think it's much different this year, my reading of it. Right. It's the same. And I think it started out, we definitely had to make some tweaks to it. Some of our board certifications, diplomates, were not included in the bill. So those, for example, the chiropractic radiologist, the initial version of the bill, wouldn't have been able to use the term chiropractic radiologist. And both the House sponsor and the Senate sponsor have been fantastic about making sure that we can use all of our diplomate status. That was never a question. They just didn't know that they existed. Right. And it took some searching on our part to see because there are basically, I think there are four organizations that provide diplomates. But within each of those organizations, there can be two or there can be 10 different types of diplomates. The bill as written now is protecting those with diplomate status. And so you'll still be able to call yourselves chiropractic physicians, doctors, chiropractic neurologists, chiropractic radiologists, if you have those diplomates. Okay. We'll continue to uh, watch that one and covers to do our best to make sure that DCs are protected. This is Jennifer Durr, CEO of the Florida Chiropractic Association, saying a special hello to all our friends, but specifically FCA members. As the premier chiropractic voice in the state of Florida for nearly 100 years, we serve more than 4,000 members with our mission to protect and improve the scope of practice, as well as offer the highest educational opportunities. The stronger our membership is, the easier it is for chiropractic care to thrive here in the Sunshine State. But we can't do it without you. Benefits to joining the Florida Chiropractic Association are innumerable. Our central office staff, joined by governmental relations, general counsel, member insurance, and legal help desk, and more, ensures that you have direct access to expert resources at any time. 
Thousands of calls annually assist members in navigating hurdles that you encounter in daily practice. This is in addition to saving thousands per year with member-only access to free and discounted services and products. If you are an FCA member already, thank you. If not, please join our cause today by visiting fcacairo.org and join now. Help us ensure the future success of this profession for years to come. Ladies, I'd like to turn our attention to some of the proactive things, the fun things that we're working on this session, a couple of bills that we've asked to be introduced that relate specifically to stuff we're doing, important to the profession. And the first one is, and making some progress on, and the good news is it's the idea of foreign bachelor degrees of students that are matriculating to chiropractic college in the States, some of the problems they're having. What's our fix there, Kim? And it's probably something to the practicing chiropractors right now. They just aren't aware of it. And it came up in a August board of chiropractic medicine meeting where there were four chiropractic graduates passed the board exams that were seeking licensure, but had obtained their bachelor's degree from a foreign bachelor's degree. I think most of them or all four of them were from Canada. I can't recall specifically, but not in the United States. And there is a provision in the statute that states that in order to get licensed in Florida as a chiropractic physician, you must have, shall have obtained your bachelor's degree from a college or university approved by the United States Department of Education. Sadly, these four new grads, four new doctors, had to withdraw their applications because they didn't want to have their application rejected. And we saw the problem. We went to Palmer College of Chiropractic and found that it's definitely a problem. They had, I think they have 47 students there with an international bachelor's degree, a foreign bachelor's degree that will be coming. Not all of them will look, be looking to get licensed in Florida, but even those out of state at chiropractic colleges that got their bachelor's from outside this country are going to have problems getting licensed. So we wrote a fix. Thankfully, we found sponsors that were able to champion this bill so far. It's been heard in the House once. And a representative, Hunchaski out of Parkland, she championed it in the House and it passed unanimously last week. Uh, we had a student come and testify from that from Longwood, Florida. We're really hoping that we can help fix this problem. It's not really an association problem, but it's a problem for new graduates seeking licensure that are actually now F well and had been F student FCA members. And we're uh, waiting for the Senate to take some action on it too, Allison, right? We're hoping that we get something this week. What, in fact, does the matter of procedure, what happens? Committees don't meet all the way through session, do they? Or So some committees meet until the fourth week. After the fourth week, only full committees, which is the, we call them big committees. And there are three subcommittees in the House under health care and there. Now the Senate is different. Senate only has major committees. After this week, which is the fourth week, no subcommittee will meet. Now, they can waive the rules and have a special meeting if there's a particular committee that has a lot of bills left pending. They just didn't have enough time to get to them. They can have another meeting. We'll see if that happens in healthcare or not. But fortunately, the education bill only has one more committee stop, and it's the full committee of healthcare. That won't be an issue for that. And another issue, dry needling. We went to the board on this one, the Board of Chiropractic Medicine, Kim, and that didn't go quite the way we had hoped. What are we trying to do there now? 
based on basically it was based on 75 to 100 member calls within the last two to three years asking if they can perform dry needling in me being unable to provide an answer to that question other than it's our legal position that it is within scope of practice but we don't know what the board will say we went ahead and filed a petition for declaratory statement to ask the board to confirm with the board that it is in within our scope and there was no discussion on scope of practice on whether or not it fit into any of your terms of manipulation and physiology and manual therapy and acupuncture there was no legal discussion as to actually whether or not it fit within the scope but we were told that we should probably just take it to the legislature with some other chiropractic issues and put it all in one bill for the legislature. Sadly, it's much more difficult to get a bill passed than to have a board rule on a declaratory statement. But because they asked us to do that, I had to withdraw the petition. There are other states, there are 28 at least, other states in the country that allow chiropractors to dry needle. Florida allows physical therapists to dry needle. Florida allows athletic trainers to dry needle, and Florida allows chiropractic physicians to supervise athletic trainers, and the statute does allow chiropractic physicians to supervise athletic trainers in performing dry needling. Anyways, this is an uphill battle we're having here. The Jack and Allison can uh, talk about that, but we're fighting hard to get dry needling. As you all know, it's similar to acupuncture. The same type of needle is used, although we would argue it's manual therapy or physiotherapy, but it's doctors in the state of Florida are doing it. Doctors across the country are doing it, and the fight is to get it determined, clarified that it is in scope. We've used the language that the acupuncturists use to create this bill to just specify in Chapter 460 you're allowed to do it. Okay, great. Obviously, keep you posted on that one as well and see what happens in the next coming weeks. Let's turn over, if we could, to a couple other issues, including insurance and physicians getting paid. We have a proactive bill this year to enact a lien law, a physician lien law, which would be the first, at least here in Florida. And what are we trying to accomplish there, Kim, and how will that work with personal injury cases? This is another proactive bill that the FCA filed. I think we filed three three in the House, three in the Senate. And again, this came out of a number of calls, probably once every two to three weeks. We get calls saying that I had this bill on a personal injury case and I got sent 20 cents on the dollar. I got sent 30 cents on the dollar. The lawyer sent it to the patient and the patient is paying me nothing. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And unfortunately, in Florida, there's not much you can do. You can sue the patient, which healthcare providers don't like to do that. You can file a grievance with the Florida Bar against the lawyer if there's a letter of protection or if there's some kind of document you sign. Physicians don't like to do that very often. We looked at what other states were doing, and a number of different states have successful lien laws. And we all know what a lien is. Hospitals often get liens. Hospitals are only allowed to get liens in if there is a county ordinance in the state. There's nine counties that have hospital lien laws out of, I think, 62 counties, something like that, maybe 64. So we drafted a physician lien law that will protect you, the physicians, all physicians, not just chiropractic physicians, 
And when a case is settled, there's basically a disclosure or transparency requirement that requires the lawyer to send a listing of all the bills that are outstanding, what the settlement is, what the attorney's fees are. The attorney's fees are going to be protected off the top. And if there is not enough money in the settlement, which most of you often don't really know because you never see any of those numbers, but if there's not enough money, then the physicians will be paid a pro rata share of the settlement. Your patient has to be protected. They're going to be getting some funds. The attorney's fees are protected. And mind you, we are in a political process working with the trial lawyers on this. You have been very good in those discussions on how to make a successful lien law. But you got to protect the patient, make sure they get some money, make sure the lawyers get their money, and then make sure the physicians get a good bulk of the money to be able to distribute the funds in a pro rata share. But it gets the doctors at the table rather than not seeing any of the settlement at all. Now, talking about being at the table, another issue that we've been working on, and this is its second year, is an insurance company problem that we want to say stumbled on, but it wasn't really that. As we became aware of it, it's egregious. Is it not, Kim? And what are we trying to do there and fix that situation or at least bring attention to it? And I think many of you listening will know that there's a cottage industry by certain auto carriers that are clawing back PIP funds. So your patients are paying, all of us are paying pretty high PIP premiums to get care when we need it. And you're getting paid, the doctors are getting paid. And then those companies are coming back five years later and clawing back the money saying, first of all, you're going to have to sign a confidentiality agreement. You can't talk to anybody about it. But secondly, you owe us a half a million dollars, more than that, a little less than that, because you've had fraudulent care. And here's a big spreadsheet of all the fraud that's occurred. And if you fight us on it, we're going to take you to federal court and tie up for three years. In all of that, in reviewing what's been happening, we learned that those companies aren't disclosing these clawbacks to the Office of Insurance Regulation. And there are other things, judgments that the insurance companies obtain, big money that the insurance companies get back, they have to disclose it to OIR because OIR, when those companies go and ask for a premium increase on our auto premiums, OIR looks at, okay, what judgments have you obtained? Let's see if you really need to increase those premiums. None of this money in the PIP clawbacks is being disclosed. And in fact, none of that money is even going back to the insurance, your patients in the PIP benefits. And then most of the time, they don't even know this is going on. So we can't preclude the situation from happening because the PIP statute allows insurers to not pay money for treatment fraudulently rendered. And so they can go to trial on it, which one trial has occurred, a three-week trial. And thankfully, the chiropractor in the 15 others in his office and other offices that were sued were successful in that jury trial. But anyways, it's a small step to require the insurance companies to report those numbers to OIR. And we did a, a small tweak that codified the law that says that when you're treating those patients, the 20% doesn't have to be collected every visit. Those auto carriers are also saying it's fraudulent because you're not collecting that 20%. 
in my opinion, the law is clear on it, but State Farm's using it against a lot of chiropractic physicians. And sadly, it's there, it's really the chiropractors that are being targeted. And so we codified the law on that aspect as well. It seems we don't have enough to do. Maybe we should add something to it, Allison. Anything you can think of that? I think we're about at our bandwidth level. <laughs> We certainly do appreciate to be all tuning in to hear what we're up to in uh, Tallahassee. It's not always the most exciting thing that the association does, but as I, I like to say, it's the most important thing that we do. And uh, we're quite privileged to be able to uh, represent our memberships here in Tallahassee, and, and we appreciate you tuning in. Just a reminder, if you're a member, and we certainly hope that you are the biggest and best chiropractic association in the state, you also get a report every week, a frontline report to where we go we'll do a deep dive on the issues each week here in Tallahassee. And if you're not up to reading all that, you can get a two to three minute video. If you can suffer my face and voice, uh, giving you a brief update of, of the issues of the week. And we encourage you to tune in. We appreciate those of you that have. Other than that, ladies, we go back to work, back to the Capitol. We got a committee meeting this afternoon. And we'll be checking back in with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And we hope you listen to all of them. There's some pretty interesting topics out there. And some may be more interesting than what we do. But we appreciate your attention and look forward to visiting again with you soon. Thanks again for joining us today, Jack, Allison, and Kim. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the FCA Podcast. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the Florida chiropractic community, discussing topics directly impacting everyday practice, the profession, and the importance of staying connected with FCA. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on the Florida Chiropractic Association, visit us online at fcachiro.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.